Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bibles. We are going to be continuing through our Sermon on the Mount series. Sermon on the Mount, a kingdom-centered life. We talk a lot about the kingdom here at Anchor Church because, again, it's God's kingdom that is coming to earth, is being brought from heaven to earth, being established on his main vehicle in this time is the local church to do that. That's why we talk so, so much about needing more churches in our community. Our, our Columbia County numbers are about one for every 4,000 people. One church for every 4,000 people. And most churches cannot hold but just maybe 100 or 200 people. If every church pew in our community was full, we would only be able to hold less than 10% of our community. If every, if every seat was taken. And so do we need to expand the kingdom in this area? The answer is yes. And Jesus helps us with that. But we started, not by talking about church planning as much, we started in chapters five and six of Matthew, we started with looking at our hearts because that's what really matters, right? The only way that, that we're gonna take our next steps in Christ is to be people who are looking inward and who are making sure that our hearts are in the right place. And so we talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different topics. Remember, we've talked about things. Do you remember them off the top of your head? What kind of, what, what kind of topics have we talked about? Prayer, right? How to pray being salt and light, different things, fasting, materialism, anxiety, worry, God providing for us, all kinds of different things. Now Jesus transitions in chapter seven, and chapter seven is on everyone's favorite topic. It's judgment, but maybe not in the way that you think when you hear the word judgment. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word judgment, but Jesus has for us today five warnings to avoid a judgmental spirit or a judgmental heart. Five warnings. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a weatherman. And there's still, you know, deep down inside, no matter what you're doing, you, you kind of have, have these moments where you wonder, hey, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have gone, you know, to this field or to that thing. Or, or you have like the backup plan, like, man, if this thing doesn't pan out, I'm going to do this. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily that, but I remember from... Uh, being, being a kid and just loving weather so much. I don't know if there are any other weather nerds here that actually turn on the weather channel for entertainment. Am I the only one in, in the room? Oh, gosh. Okay, oh, okay, good, good. I'm seeing a couple nods. That's good. <laughs> I don't feel quite as awkward now. Um, yeah, I used to watch local on the eights, like on purpose. Like, it's like, oh, it's eight. I got to go watch the local weather. And I just loved it. I had the big weather answer book. It was like this thick. And I was just like an eight-year-old nerd in my room just reading the big weather answer book. I had, a, I had an analog barometer in my room. So I knew what the bare I, Oh, low pressure. Here's a, here, here comes the rain. And so big weather nerd. And I remember from time to time, the National Weather Service would issue a severe thunderstorm watch or a tornado watch. And you know how watches work, right? Not, not watches, but watches with the weather. It doesn't really mean anything. It's like, it's possible. It, like, conditions are possible. For, it, yeah, anything's possible. I mean, possible, it hardly ever happens when there's just a watch. But there comes these times when 
there's a what? Warning. And a warning is entirely different than a watch. A warning is a big deal. And so Jesus is not just telling us to watch out. He does that sometimes. Jesus is giving us five warnings because warning means that there is a threat. And one of the biggest threats to our relationship with God and our relationship with others, friends, it's this, it's simple. It's judgment in our hearts. It's a judgmental spirit. Do you see it in our world today? Gosh, man, everybody's the expert on other people's motives. I know why you did that. You did that because of the, you know, everybody's, everybody, everybody seems to be the expert on, on people that they don't even know, that, that they never met, that they never will meet, or even they met them a couple times, or even maybe, maybe you do know the person, but only God knows our hearts, right? But we, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I, I can assume wrongly about someone's heart sometimes. Haven't you done that too? I know I have. And Jesus gives us five warnings to avoid the judgmental heart. So let's take a look as Jesus touches on this important theme related to the way that we think of and treat others. The first one is this. Here's the first warning. Let's just put this up there. Avoid a judgmental heart at all costs. And I may have skipped this slide, guys. If I didn't make a number one, I apologize. Here's the number one. <laughs> all right, that's on, that's on me. They're doing great. All right, avoid a judgmental heart. You can just write that down this morning if you're a note taker. Avoid a judgmental heart. So how does Jesus encourage us to do that? Let's put verse one up there. Do not judge. Oh, there we go. It's the, it's the, most, it's the most quoted Bible verse, even more than John 3.16, even more than Jesus wept. It is, the Bible says, do not judge. And it's the most known Bible verse from Christian or non-Christian. You know the Bible says not to judge. So what, what that typically means is it, it's coming from someone that's doing something and someone else sees them do it and they have an issue with it and that person mentions it to them in some kind of way, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's mentioned to them that so-and-so has an issue with what you're doing, there's a disagreement. And the person that did the thing lobs it back at them and says, oh, but you can't judge. You cannot look at what I'm doing and say that it's wrong. You know that's the world we live in today, right? Like, it, to say someone is wrong, to simply assert, I disagree with you, I really do think you're wrong, that's hateful. That's hate speech now. I mean, Canada's going way faster than we are. I mean, they're, they're legislating speech up there. And we're next, by the way. It seems like we're trending that way. And so, let's talk about this for a second. Do not judge. What does Jesus really mean? Well, guys, sometimes we got to go to the Greek. You know, I'm going to take you there. And the word judge in Greek is krinos. Everybody say that. Krinos. K-R-I-N-O-S. Krinos. Krinos does not mean what we mean when we say judge. When we say you're judging me, what we typically mean is condemning, condescending. You're writing me off. You're saying I'm like the worst, the worst. You're being judgy, as we call it. Okay, it means to look down on someone and be self-righteous and all this other stuff. Jesus, this word right here, krinos, means to simply, it means to simply make a choice, to decide, to separate. Because that's what God calls us to do, right? There's good and there's evil. There are things that are of God, things that are not of God, and we have to look at our world and sometimes the people in our lives and in our world, we have to go, is this good or is it not good? 
Am I going to choose life or death? Is it right or wrong? We teach our kids this from very early age, right? We all learn this. We have to make these choices. And so Krinos is simply to come to a choice. So would Jesus say, do not choose, do not come to a choice. Don't think about whether something's right or wrong. Would, th- that, that flies in the face of everything else that Jesus has taught us so far and everything else he says in Matthew. So we know that's not it. So what does he mean? Well, there are times when God makes it clear in his word that we're called to make an assessment on someone else's, even someone else's spiritual condition. Did you know that? Which I know that makes us cringe a little bit. It does. Because we go, well, who, well only God can judge you, or only God can judge them. And if we use the word judge like Jesus used, krinos, to make a choice, that's actually not true. And Jesus makes lots of judgments. Now, he's, he's the one who's coming to judge the living and the dead, so he's a unique uh, uh, person. You know, he's the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God. And so we might say, well, that's just for Jesus. But no, Jesus actually, we'll actually see in verse 6 at the end of the sermon, a practical application of this. So we know we're not talking about the basic. There must be something deeper going on. So let's look at a more expanded version of the statement in Luke's gospel. And just listen to me read this real quick. Jesus says in Luke 6.37, do not judge. It's a parallel Sermon on the Mount um, passage from Luke. Don't judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Ah, so in Luke's account, we get a little more of what Jesus said there. And here's, what, here's the simple truth. Jesus calls us to abandon a judgmental attitude and heart. He does. Jesus calls us to abandon a judgmental attitude and heart. And a judgmental attitude, here's what it is. It's the opposite of a merciful heart. That's what an attitude of judgment is. It's the opposite of mercy. So put them on different sides of the spectrum. Did you know that Duke University, uh, their, their law school, uh, they, they actually bullet point out what kind of person would make a good judge? I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. What would make a good judge? What kind of person? Go ahead. We're not like, you can give me some feedback. What kind of, what kind of person would make a good judge? Honest? Fair? Good. What else? Unbiased. That's actually a huge part of what Duke says. Good job, Dwayne. Uh, from from uh, what a judge should be. And yes, honest and fair and all that kind of stuff. They say specifically, judges with strength, with, with, with strength, I don't know what word that is, strength <laughs> in the positive emotionality. That's what they call it. Family of traits. So here's what it is. Compassion, patience, humility, respect, and open-mindedness. Those make the best judges, most consistently and in the greatest variety of settings. But what's a judgmental heart? Well, judgmental heart writes people off super quick. You ever seen that? You ever been written off before? Stinks, doesn't it? You ever written somebody off when you shouldn't have? Me too. Display a critical spirit? So there's a difference between having a critical mind and a critical spirit. A critical mind's okay. Ask questions push a little bit and go, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or are you sure? Hey, I've noticed this. What's up with that? You know, we just have, we think, we analyze. That's a good thing. That's from God. But what Satan loves to do is to get our critical thinking, good skill, into critical attitude and critical heart. And that's when cynicism 
invades the soul and rots away at our core, and automatically we just go to the negative, and we just go, oh, I bet they're so-and-so, I bet they're just like, the, I've seen that before, this and this and that. A critical spirit anchored by two things, ready? Two poisons, self-righteousness, which Jesus is gonna bring up a lot, and pride. Self-righteousness and pride are your one-way ticket to making sure that you have a judgmental spirit. And it's the foundation of, I'm better than them. And none of us would like come out and say that, right? Like, no, of course I'm not. Of course, you know, God, God alone is good. Of course, you know, I've got my own issues. No, nobody's perfect. But there are some times where we're like, I think I'm just kind of better. And it's a, it's, it's a problem. A judgmental spirit doesn't give second chances. A judgmental spirit holds grudges. And here's where we've been going, ready? So all of these negative traits, but really the number one sign of a judgmental heart and the number one foundational problem that Jesus is really targeting is this. Judgmental spirit plays the role of God. We're trying to play God. And I guess this in trouble real quick, right? When we try to make gods out of ourselves, you make God out of someone else in a relationship, a marriage, a, a child even. People idolize their children all the time, mothers and fathers. Um, when you try to play the role of God, false judgments about self, others. And ultimately what that leads to is false judgments about God and who he is. And so then we lose track of who God is. And so we're told here in scripture that being judgmental is dangerous. False righteousness equals false judgment. False righteousness equals false judgment. And so John MacArthur puts it this way. He's a New Testament scholar says this, what this command does is forbid harsh, critical, compassionless, vengeful condemnation of one's enemies as if one was vested with the final judgment power. Or to put it in one word, condemning. A condemning person. We remember that Jesus called for a righteousness that was greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, amen? He said, unless your righteousness is greater, you're in deep trouble. And so, Jesus tells us we've got to be very careful in how we avoid judgment. So what does Jesus say? What's his second warning? Spent a lot of time on the first one. It's kind of a foundation one. We're going to move a little quicker. Here we go. The second warning this morning is to be consistent with your measure. Okay. So now we're getting to the second part. So, so we read verse 1, do not judge lest you be judged, as the older translation says, or as our new translation says, so that you won't be judged. But what does verse two say? Verse two says, for you will be judged by the same standard, you underline that in your Bible, the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. So Jesus is gonna move into some territory where we, where we do have permission to krinos, to make a choice, to choose, to decide, that's permissible. It's the condemnation that he puts out of bounds. But he says, if you're gonna judge, if you're gonna make a judgment, then you've got to be consistent with your measure. And so what do we mean by that? Well, first of all, considering our measure cultivates humility in our hearts. That's why we do it. But if we see something that violates the standard that we aim to live by, we see something that there's a problem with. We go, see, I'm living my life this way. Let's, let's just, if you're, if you're a Christian in the room, you're saying, I'm living my life according to the word. I see something happening that's not according to the word, and I have a problem with that. 
Okay, so you, you, you have crinosed you that situation. You have made a choice. You've said, no, nah, that's bad. That's not good. All right, so we're in bounds here. But the problem is when, when we see that, we should ask ourselves this question. Ready for it? Do I aim to meet that standard? This thing I have a problem with, do I aim to meet that standard? Here's the question that is a good question to ask, but is not really what we're talking about as much. Do I ever do that? Because we all have some of the same issues, right? And so if we could never make a crinos judgment on anything except for the things that we never do, we, we would not be able to make a choice at, at all because none of us are perfect. So you see how that's kind of self-defeating. So we're not talking about that. Let's, let's just wipe that with the eraser. What we're saying is that you, we've got to ask ourselves, do I aim to meet that standard? Or am I aiming at something totally different? Let's put it this way. That standard I'm holding them to, am I holding myself to that same standard? And when we do not, I mean, Jesus essentially says here, we've heard it a thousand times, check yourself before you. Wreck yourself or others. We'll wreck ourselves and others really quick. So on occasions where we're rendering a negative evaluation of others, here's the deal. Our purposes, don't miss this this morning, our purposes should be constructive and redemptive. If we ever point out something that is undesirable in this world or in a brother or sister in Christ, because that's who we're called to hold accountable, right? If you're a Christian and you see something um, unchristian happening, something that does not jive with God's word, and someone that does not follow Jesus is doing it, it doesn't mean we can't call people to repentance and faith in Christ and call them to a better life, but we, we ought not judge them because, and, it, and what I mean by judge is that condemning way, because, here's the deal, they don't claim to live by this standard, all right? I've been to some farms, and I'll tell you something I've seen every time. A cow moves. A duck quacks. A dog goes woof, okay? Like every time, all right? I've never heard a dog say woof, by the way. If you ever hear a dog say woof, run. Uh, that's a weird dog. But, you know, people do what's consistent with their heart. And so we hold each other as believers accountable because you said you want to live by this, but this is not jiving up. But when we do that, it's always constructive. It's always it's always redemptive. It's not retributive. It's not, it's not to get revenge. It's not any kind of evil way. We call it a double standard, right? When someone does not live up to that measure. So oftentimes we can, if we're really honest, we can desire condemnation for others, but mercy for ourselves. But Jesus came so that mercy would be offered to all. It would be offered to all through you. You, you could be a conduit a conduit, a, a passageway by which God's mercy and grace comes into this world. And that's the goal. And so let's move on to the third warning. The third warning this morning is that we've got to prioritize repentance. Write this down. Prioritize your repentance and avoid hypocrisy. It's kind of a two-for-one deal there. Prioritize your repentance and avoid hypocrisy. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5 here. So let's read verses three through five. And Jesus asked a question. He loved to ask questions, right? But whenever Jesus was asking a question, he wasn't just asking a question. He was saying something. So here we go. So here's the sermon illustration for Jesus' sermon here. And he says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, 
let me take the splinter out of your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eyes. So here's where Jesus, this is another Jesus tells it like it is moment, okay? Jesus is not afraid to tell it like it is. But Jesus was, we, we don't acknowledge this a lot in the Bible, so I'm going to stop and just say, like, we've, we've, we've got to notice it. Jesus is being funny here. He's employing humor. I know that some of us don't think of Jesus as funny. Like, we're like, no, he was always serious business. Like, he's always got his glasses down his nose. He's got his clipboard. You know, he's kind of like always, he's this businessy rabbi. No, Jesus was funny. He talked about it, you know, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I mean, guys, these are, these are supposed to be humorous in these, and they would have been humorous in this culture. We kind of look at it. Humor is contextual to the age you grow up in, right? You ever try to watch stand-up comedy from, from many moons ago, and you're like, why are people laughing? Like, this is, this is kind of, as, as, the, uh, as the new generations would put it, this is kind of cringe, okay? This is, this is cringe. Yes, I did work that into a sermon. You're welcome, Kurt. All right, so... But it's a humorous picture. A man with a board in his eye is trying to help out of a friend to remove a speck from his eye. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of these before? Have you ever had one of these? Oh, it's the worst, isn't it? And you know the second that it happens, all right? But have you ever had one in your eye? Yikes, right? The eyelash hurts bad enough, right? You get the eyelash in there and um, I don't know how many of y'all do that, like, blowing thing, like, make a wish. I don't know. That's, you know, I'll pray for you, but um, that's, that's weird. Um, no, no, if you do that, you, you do you. Uh, but the splinter, the splinter in your eye, that's going to cause some issues. Now, is this thing big or small? It's not a trick question. I think it's so small. It wouldn't make, just blink it out, you know? It'll, it'll work. No, this thing will disrupt your life. This thing will eliminate that eye from working properly. And here's the example, here's the two pictures that we get. We get a picture of a splinter and we get a picture of a beam. And these are the beams that Jesus was talking about. These were the beams that held houses together in the ancient world. Likely, these, these beams aren't quite to scale, but most uh, or some, some scholars believe that these beams Jesus was talking about in his day could have been as large as 46 feet in length and five feet around. Huge beams that would hold a house up. And this is the picture that he has of someone coming with a speck in their, or with, trying to remove a speck in someone else's eye, but having a beam coming out in their other eye. One of the greatest examples of this is from John chapter eight, the first handful of verses with the adulterous woman. Have you ever read that before in scripture? Where they're bringing, the Pharisees are bringing an adulterous woman who has been, been with many different people, have violated the Torah and the law, and they throw her out in the streets, and they're getting ready to stone her, according to the law. They're getting ready to throw rocks at her until she dies. That's, that's how they dealt with things. The, the religious elite are condemning her, and Jesus is there. And this is what Jesus says. It's, a whole, it's, it's worth a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But here's what Jesus says in John 8, 7. When they persisted in questioning him, because they're going, Jesus, what say you? Look, look at this woman. These are the things that she's done. They're telling him like Jesus doesn't know. And Jesus is like drawing in, in the dirt with his finger and they're talking with him. They're, they're trying to trap him again. And when they persisted in questioning him, Jesus stood up. Dramatic moment. And he said to them these words. And you might have heard this before if you've been around church a little while. The one without sin among you should be the first one to throw a stone at her. And so what is Jesus saying here, why are, you, why are you looking at your brother with a log 
coming all the way out of your eye, trying to remove a speck out of theirs. First, what does he say? Verse four. How can you say to your brother, let me take a splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Number five, verse five. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye. And so what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, before we can ever help someone else, you've, you've heard this on an airplane before. Whose oxygen do you secure first before you can help others? Your own. And that's not selfish, but like you're not gonna help anybody else if you're dead, if you can't breathe, okay? So you put your mask on first and then you can assist others. It's the same way in the kingdom, guys. And I'm just gonna encourage us today. If this is the situation, and we all find ourselves in a situation, all you gotta do is take the beam out. It's way more simple than it would be physically if we were like literally were to act this out. That would be quite an issue, require extensive surgery, maybe a new head or something, I don't know. But that would be very messy. But really for us, God makes it simple. He says, turn, turn from your sin. And so what is our answer? Christian in the room, it's to repent daily of our sin. It's, we're gonna pray this prayer at the end, but it's a prayer to ask God to search our hearts. God, search my heart. And see if there's anything in me that's jacked up and that needs to come out. Is, is there a beam in my eye, Lord? Because Jesus issues this uh, fourth warning here. Let's just get on to it. So we've removed the beam, but then his fourth warning is this. Be careful when removing the splinter. The art, the loving art of splinter removal is one of the greatest things we can learn from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Because what Jesus makes clear, and here's what we can't avoid, ready? We're still called to take that splinter out of our brother and sister's eye. As uncomfortable as that may make you feel. And I'll tell you one thing, it is not easy. And it is not always appreciated. I'll use my kids as an example right now. When my kids have a splinter in their finger like you saw or somewhere else or in their foot, they do not appreciate me coming around with some tweezers. The second I even go get the tweezers, they're already screaming. Can I, can I get an amen from anybody? Yeah, I mean, like, I, and I didn't like my mom doing it either. For some reason, whenever my mom would try to do it, it would hurt. But if, like, but if I did it, it was, you know, I could control it. But my kids freak out. They do not want me to get the splinter out, but they're also screaming that their foot hurts or their finger hurts. And so it's a, you know, a catch-22. But Jesus says this art is very, it's very careful. Listen to what last part of verse 5 says. This is what 5b says. Then you will see clearly, ah, there's, there's the underlined word, clearly, to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So remember when we talked about the good eye? A few weeks ago, the Hebrews, the Jews talked about the good eye. And the good eye means that you're thinking about things the way that God thinks about things. That the lens is available to receive light to bless the rest of your body. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11, verses 34 and 35. He says, your eye is the lamp of the body. Does this sound familiar? When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. So there it comes full circle. When we remove the beam from our eye, light can get in and then we can see clearly to remove the splinter from the other's eye. But what happens is that the beam typically stays there and we're all trying to help each other out, but we've got beams coming out of our eyes and we can't see clearly. So this is why, again, as a faith family, let's be committed 
Don't miss this today. Maybe it's the only thing you hear today, and that's okay. Be committed to daily rhythms of repentance. A daily rhythm. What does that look like? Take time out of your day to think about the areas of your faith that you struggle in. The things that God said to do that you didn't do. The things that he said not to do that you did do. Uh, the things that he said to do and we just, we just omitted. We said, God, I didn't have time. We make excuses and I do the same thing. But, I, but I've really tried to prioritize a daily time of sitting and just thinking about those things and not thinking, uh, you know, coming to the end of that and just ending up in this place of woe is me. And I'm, I'm ru- I mean, there, there's a moment of realizing the weight of our sins, friends, that is helpful. But then beyond that, we receive the mercy and grace of God because he says his mercies are new every morning, right? Not just every now and then, but every morning we can receive that mercy. Kirk led us through a devotion before a church got started. We do like a uh, leaders roundup, uh, like everybody's serving in different areas. We come together and we prayed in this worship area for our service today, but also for our hearts. And the verse that Kirk shared with us was, let us approach the throne of grace boldly with confidence. Why? Because we got a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, yet without sin. So Jesus gets it. When we come to him and repent, he gets it. He already knows what we did. He already knows our, our, our attitudes are out of whack. And we have these moments, we have these patterns that are just jacked up. But friends, we've got to come to a place where we daily acknowledge them and ask for God's help. God, I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, we acknowledge, God, I need help with this. I can't do it alone. I pray that every time before I get up here and preach. God, I'm not, I'm not giving a TED Talk this morning. These are not my words. It's not like I'm trying to be the smart guy in the room. I just want to make your word clear, God. Help me. There's so many weaknesses within me that could keep that from happening. And he's faithful to do so. Hey, can we talk about the last warning this morning? The fifth and final one. I get really passionate about this one. I want to encourage you to get passionate about it as well if you call yourself a follower of Jesus in the room. Fifth warning. Steward the gospel intentionally. And there's that Bible word, that churchy word, steward. All right. What does steward mean? It means we take something that God gave us and we think very carefully and very intentionally about how we want to give it out and distribute it. And so we do it with our finances. That's the easiest example, right? That's usually when we talk about it. God gives us these resources, these material resources called money, And we take that money and we go, God, how can I best use this to build your kingdom here on earth? Yeah, I got to feed my family. Yes, I got basic needs stuff and bills and all that. But Lord, help me do this in a way that honors you. And so what are we stewarding? We're stewarding the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. That same way we receive the gospel, the good news, the words of God, and We receive a calling from God that says, I want you to get what I've said out because not everybody's gonna crack open a Bible right away, right? And like we talk about all the time, I'll say it again, people are going, Christian in the room, people will see what God is like, who God is through how you act and through what you say to them. And if we can just make this clear, 
Make this word clear. Quote scripture boldly and confidently, not weirdly. Don't make it weird, but it will be weird sometimes because people will hear it and they'll go, what is, what is this? This can be new to them, but just care about people. Be intentional and say, hey, can I tell you something God says? Maybe just start with a simple fact. Hey, for God so loved the world, that means you. God loves you. He cares about you. He's got a plan for your life, a plan to prosper, not to harm. And so what does Jesus say in verse 6? Jesus moves in verse 6 of chapter 7. He moves to, he said, do not judge lest you be judged. Use a consistent measure. He gives the illustration about the beam and the speck. But then Jesus says, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. So when people try to put makeup on Jesus and said that Jesus never said anything tough or Jesus never got gritty with what he was saying in the holiest of ways, Jesus does that here. He calls people dogs and pigs. Gosh, man, that's kind of harsh, right? I mean, like, especially in our world today, like, we get, our world seems to get offended over anything. And Jesus using dogs and pigs language, and then we got pearls. So what's he talking about here? Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So after Jesus warns us about judgmental attitudes, you're tracking with me, that's where we started. Judgmental attitudes self-blind criticism, Jesus reminds us that he did not mean to imply that people of his kingdom suspend all discernment altogether. Never be discerning. Nope, Jesus is gonna hit discernment now and intentionality. We should discern there are some good, precious things that, not should, be give, that should not be given to those who would show contempt for those things. Now, this is a very tricky balance beam kind of walk. Is Jesus saying that to people that do not appreciate the gospel. They, they do not consider it precious. Do we not take the gospel? Wait a second. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not those that are healthy. Is Jesus contradicting himself? As Paul would say, by no means. What Jesus is saying here is that we've got to steward the gospel well. The gospel's for everyone, amen? Let's just start there. Let's just broad brush it. The gospel's for everyone, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that, what's that next word? I love it, I love this word. Whosoever, is the old school word, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the good news of the gospel, and not everyone's gonna be excited about that, but we get it to the world. But what happens when people aren't driving with the gospel? Let's set it up this way. This has gotta be the most popular dog of 2023, because I know at least six families that have, I know, right? Everybody just say it together. Oh, yeah. This is a golden doodle. If you don't know what that is, it is a golden retriever mixed with a, oh, okay. So you guys all know what it is. Good. So this is a golden doodle. This is a, this is a pretty cute dog. You got to admit, but these things are absolutely crazy. Every person I know says they chew on everything. So just beware, cute, but it's a lot of work. All right. These are not the, these are the dogs of the Bible. Now, if, if this is your dog, you better sleep with one eye open, okay? Because these dogs in Jesus' day, see, we tend to think, oh, cute golden doodles, oh, little chihuahua, little, you know, cute, you know, dachshund and these different animals. No, these were the dogs of the Bible that came around, and they were a problem. They would attack you. They would take your food or take your things or, you know, try to, they would, they would destroy things. We do the same thing with pigs, don't we? This is, this is the quintessential pig that everybody knows. Some pig, right? For all of you that know Charlotte's Web, all right? 
Zuckerman's famous pig. Yeah, Wilbur, so cute. Not the pigs of the Bible. These are the pigs of the Bible. Wilbur had a bad day, okay? He's got an evil twin, all right? This is, these are wild boars, okay? They make great barbecue, by the way. Uh, but Sorry, I just, my mind's on barbecue. I had brisket last night. These are the pigs of the Bible, the dogs and the pigs. So what, he's saying that the gospel is like a pearl, and that people that, that spurn the gospel and say, you know what, get that God stuff out of here. That they, before the Lord, their standing is unclean. Sinners. Which, by the way, we all <laughs> have fallen short of God's standards. So we all start that way. But some people are still that way. What Jesus is saying is that if you try to give the gospel over and over and over again to someone who is antagonistic towards the message... Jesus encourages us to move on to others who are more receptive. And I know, I know how it feels sometimes. We're like, really? So God wants me to give up on them? No, it's not giving up on someone, but it's stewarding your time. It's stewarding the resources of the gospel to reach as many people as we possibly can. So you do give up on that person and write them off and have a judgmental spirit, never talk to them again, say, get out of here, you dog and pig, and all this other kind of stuff. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Love on them. Show them what God is like. Be consistent presence in their life, but steward the gospel faithfully. And so Jesus always ends, like what, whatever we're saying in the Sermon on the Mount, I hope you're seeing the pattern. We're always ending with, hey, let's address our hearts. Let's get this straight. And let's go live this mission. Let's go do it. So friends, how are you stewarding the gospel this week? For those of you who are in Christ, those of you that have decided to follow Jesus, I know many of you in the room have. How are you going to steward the gospel faithfully and intentionally this week? Who's on your mind and on your heart? We've written some names up here on the cross. If you want to add some, Dwayne's got a fancy pen, and you can add them uh, up here. Dwayne will uh, hook you up with that. But we've got lots of names up here. Tanya, Stacy, Heather, Colin. we got uh, uh, you know, Chuck and... And just, you know, all these different names, Jules and Denny and Teresa and just so many different names. We wrote actual names up here. We didn't do like first letter initial. I mean, God knows every one of these names. And these are people that need the grace of God in their life. And that's why it's displayed up here. And we want to fill it to the bottom. Guys, we got more names in the room. I, I know we could easily fill this thing up. So, so definitely uh, connect, connect with Dwayne if you're interested. But let's steward the gospel faithfully to those who God already knows need it. He already knows. And let's just land here this morning. Let's just put this last verse up on the screen. Let's just have a time this morning where we pray this prayer together. And here's the prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. This is a prayer asking God to test you. This is dangerous. So if you don't want to pray this, here's your out, all right? But there could not be anything more valuable in our lives than to beg God to test our hearts. Because in the testing and in the knowing our concerns, God already knows where your heart's at today. He already, he already knows. The pressure's off. God, see if there's any offensive way in me. And here's the ultimate bent. Lead me in the everlasting way. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gains entrance into heaven 
except by me. That's the everlasting way. Are you walking in the everlasting way? Can I just start with that this morning during, during our response time? Have you acknowledged in your heart that you are a sinner, that you've broken God's rules, that, that you're not perfect and that you stand before God a sinner? You go, yes, God, I am a sinner. I have committed sin. And so that's step one. But then step two is to turn from that sin. Have you ever a time in your life said, God, I'm done with this sin. I don't wanna live for that. I wanna turn from it. And I need you to heal my heart. Because Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are sick and that we can't trust our hearts. Even though Disney says to follow our hearts, God, God says we can't trust our hearts. And so here's what we do, friends. It's as simple as this. We acknowledge our sin before the Lord and we ask God for a new heart. And the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, he takes out this heart of stone that can't feel anything, that's just hard and closed off, sins all the time, doesn't care about it, just kind of like, I'm just gonna do whatever I wanna do. And God takes out that heart. He does heart surgery. Did you know that about the gospel? God takes out a heart of stone and he puts in what Jeremiah calls a heart of flesh. And that heart of flesh feels. The heart of flesh senses those moments when we sin, we desire to repent. So even when we mess up again, like we're all gonna do, even today, even the hour after we're here, we're gonna mess up. We're gonna have a bad thought. We're gonna have these moments, but it's gonna mess us up. And we're gonna go, God, I don't want that. I want to turn. But if you've never turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And what do you put your faith in? He died for you on that cross. He took your sin and your judgment that you deserve and that I deserve, and he paid the price for it so that none of us would have to go to a place of eternal punishment, but would go to a place of eternal blessing and best of all, get to be with God forever. When this life ends, we step into eternity with God. Have you made that decision? I'm gonna lovingly call you to repentance and faith this morning. If you've never made that choice, it's as simple as just sitting right where you are. Just bow your head and just pray to God. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart and save me. Help me follow you. And it's not a magic prayer. It's not hocus pocus or anything like that. It's an honest moment with God. Just saying, God, I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna turn from my sin and I'm gonna trust you. But if you trust in Jesus, we're gonna put that verse back up there. And I'm just gonna give us a moment. But before we sing the song, I just want you to read through this and just have a talk with God, just right where you sit. You can kneel down, you can come forward if you want to, stand up, you can respond however you want to. Let's take a couple minutes and just ask God to search you, test you, know you, and lead you. Let's, let's take a couple minutes before we sing and respond. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.